0: Well, ladies, go ahead and have a seat. Thank you all for being here. My name is Sandy Schrader. And um, I, I got to tell you, I had one of those mornings this morning that um, I got up and, and I swim in the morning. So I swam, came home from swimming and felt like I was rushed, but had no reason to be rushed because I had plenty of time. Um, and so I picked out a shirt or a blouse today and it was this tan colored blouse and I'm like, Oh, this will be perfect for today. So I tried it on, got my jewelry, I had gold jewelry on and all kinds of stuff. And, um, I looked at the shirt and it's like, Oh, I need to press this cause it had head marks on it. So I take it over and I'm pressing it and, um, there's a spot right about here and I'm like, you know, I'm going to pretend like I don't even see this. I'll just wear it and pretend like I, uh, I didn't notice it. So so I'm, I'm putting it on, and then it starts bugging me a little bit more. Like, okay, like, everybody's going to look at this spot. And, like, it's light, but I can get away with it. So I'm trying to convince myself that it's going to be okay. Well, the more I'm thinking about it, and it, it you know, it's like, what should I do? I really want to wear this shirt. So then I take out one of those little Tide wipes and I wipe it. And then the spot now comes from this little tiny thing that you can hardly see to this big, huge spot. <laughs> so and then I'm like, well, maybe this will dry. And, you know, so I'm still, I am stuck in my conviction that that is the blouse that I'm going to wear. Um, and so the spot just gets bigger and bigger. And me with tied sheets, like I see those tied sheets and I start rubbing all over. Like, oh, I've got a spot here. So I've got wet spots like all over. Finally, I'm like, forget the shirt. So I pull this one on. I get in the car. I'm on my way here. And then I look down and like my deodorant has the white marks. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness. And the more I rubbed, like the worse it got. So, I was over in the office and I found a blue, like, bath towel or something, so I rubbed. So, if I still have deodorant on me, then you know what the deal is. That's my morning. Um, Glad you're here. Hope your morning was better, but um, we're women. We get all of this stuff. So, today we're going to talk about... um, Worry, anxiety, stress, even depression. And so I I get that that's not the funnest topic, that there's a a lot of weight that comes with that. Um, But our goal here today is to encourage each other and to find encouragement and hope in Scripture. And so um, before you leave today, I, I just truly hope that you are encouraged, that you do find um, some some hope, some love, you, that you feel God's grace. Um, and we have uh, other women here that'll help lead in some of the discussions. We're going to hear Corinne Shark's story, and um, and at the same time, I want to say that these are this is a big deal. Stress and anxiety and worry, it's huge. These are clinical conditions for some of us. So I don't want to ignore the fact that we have, um, that in our society we have medical professionals, we have counselors, we have therapists, that sometimes you do need to... um, You do need to get help from them. So I am in no way saying that your struggle with this, that you should be able to handle it on your own. There are times when you you may need to get some help. And to that end, what we have at the center of the tables is a list of resources. And Christy Hinkle, a social worker that attends here, she put this together and um, On those resources, it says, you know, if you have health insurance, this is where you can go or the steps that you need to take. Um, If you're an ASU student, this is um, kind of the pathway that you that you may consider. And then there's some other resources on there. So I don't want to in any way minimize or ignore the fact that there are times that we need some professional help with our anxiety, with our depression, with, with things that are going on in our lives. Here today, we will be looking at scripture and and what we know from God, his promises, and how... With that, when, when we say that we're saved, when we know that, that Christ is our Savior, that, um, that he died and rose for us, for our sins, that we can find hope in that. And that there are many times when that feeling of worry or anxiety, um, when what, what we need to do is look to him. So that's the direction that we're going today. I hope that um, that's kind of what you were thinking when you came in. Um, he, God has so many, so many promises throughout scripture and he is so faithful. So we can find hope in that. And, and when we know that, when we find comfort in that, when we are comforted in that, life can be so much easier. It doesn't necessarily take away the troubles or the problems or the things that are going on in your life. But it does give you a way to approach them and, um, and find peace in the midst of them. Over the summer, I was um, uh, giving swimming lessons to my grandsons, and there's two of them, and the first one, the oldest, is Brayden. Brayden is seven years old, and Brayden has red hair, and he's a really smart kid. He's awesome. And, um, and then his brother, Yale, is, he just turned six, so they're um, about 18 months, 20 months apart, um, but at the time, five and seven years old. So Braden, being seven years old, is much stronger. His swimming skills are much better. Even though he couldn't swim at the beginning of the summer, he just, because he's older, he can do this. His body positioning in the water was much better. Yale, on the other hand, bites his way through everything. He's a tough, little, tenacious little kid. And um, so in these swimming lessons, um, they both got to the point that they were pretty competent in the water, and they could go from one end of the pool to the other. But they couldn't... I was teaching them how to float on your back. So how do you right yourself in the water, get yourself to a point of safety? And Yale, the younger one, the five-year-old at the time, he would lay back, he'd get a little smile on his face, and then he would just kick his feet, and he would just float. And he was just in this state of peace, and... He loved it and he knew that he was really good at this. And I'm like, Yale, dude, like you could go, the water could be ten feet and you would be fine because you know how to float. His head's back, he's relaxing, and we would time him and he would just stay there for ten minutes, fifteen minutes, even longer if we if we let him go on it. Braden, the one who is stronger, bigger, actually a better swimmer, he would lay back and his head would come up and his bottom would fall down and he would be, oh my gosh, I'm going to drown, I'm going to drown, I'm going to drown. And he never, even throughout the whole summer, he never got to the point where he could lay back and relax in the water because what was going through his mind was how deep is the water? Uh, Am I going to drown? Am I going to be okay? I, You know, what if Sandy's not right next to me? What if, what if, what if? And Braden was so consumed with all of those thoughts and concerns that he never got to the point that he could just lay back and relax in the water. That's us. So many times we are going through true struggles and true hard things in our life, or maybe we're even going through the mundane of our life, but we are not relaxing into it. We're not trusting God. We're not knowing that his promises are true and that he has good things for us. And so we're, we're just consumed with that worry and what ifs and, and oh, my goodness, and, and we're not relaxing back into it. When we truly know and trust and believe and find comfort in the fact that God is in control of everything, then we can be like little Yale that just lays back with a smile on his face and just relaxes through life. Again, I'm not saying that it makes, that it takes away all of your pain and struggles and troubles, but oh my goodness, we can approach those with with peace, with comfort. Um, so that's, um, that's kind of where we're going today. I will tell you from my personal life, I struggled with anxiety and depression from the time I was very little. I can remember laying in bed at night and I would have things that would just cycle through my head and I couldn't get to sleep and um, and as I got older, into my teen years, that anxiety um, went into, in some, in, at different periods of my life, into full depression. Um, and my depression was, was severe. I mean, it was, I was still going to school and doing those sorts of things, but my thoughts of suicide, my thoughts of life will never get anybody, any better, my hopelessness was incredibly severe. And... Um, and and i was not I was not a believer at the time, so i couldn 't find hope in anything um, so i I would more often than not to get myself out of that um, it wasn 't that I would open up the Bible because i didn 't have a bible i didn 't know anything about the Bible, and i couldn 't find hope in that, but what I would do is ignore it is say you know what, if I find a new boyfriend, if I get busy, if I, if I, and as I moved into my 20s and 30s and even into my 40s, when my depression would get bad enough and bad being, thoughts of suicide, and I can't go on in life and those sorts of things, um, what I would do is, is take on a, a new project, a new conquest, and then totally and completely immerse myself in that. And that would keep me going for a couple of years, and then that anxiety and depression would rear its ugly head, and I would be right back where I was. Each time that it came back, it was deeper, more powerful, darker. It was awful. Um, For me, it was that depression and that brokenness and that anxiety that God used to break me to the point that as he reached out his hand, which he probably did so many other times in my life. But at, at 39 years old, I finally took that hand and said, I give all of this to you. And that was my moment of surrender and um, knowing and feeling and trusting and seeing that, that God had good things for me, He was my protector. Um, and and here I am today, um, and I can't say that immediately my anxiety or my depression went away, but immediately what I had was hope, and then through learning scripture, through learning about God, through reading the Bible, through talking with other women like you, what I can say now is that that is a very, very distant part of my past, and it isn't something that I struggle with too terribly much anymore. The minute I have those anxious thoughts or the minute that deep depression comes over me or something, the enemy fills my head with whatever, I know that I can go straight to scripture and that I can find answers in there and find hope in there. Um, so for, for those of you that this is an issue for you, there is hope. And, um, and, and your struggles, you know, I, I, they're, they're, I, what, I, what I want you to know is that your struggles are real. Um, and in the midst of that, that there is hope and that we're all here um, to help you, to talk to you, to pray for you. Um, when we look at the definition of anxiety, um, a, it is a state of apprehension, uncertainty, and fear resulting from the anticipation of a realistic or fantasized threatening event or situation. Anxiety often goes to the point of impairing us physically or psychologically. So the tipping point is we all have little things, or we may say, I'm worried if it rains tomorrow that I, my kids won't be able to play outside. That's worry. That's, you know, that's within the realm of normal. We'll, we say that that is worry. It's when those things begin to consume us and stop us, and they are the only thoughts that we have, that we know that we've kind of tipped that scale to when what is, what is normal, what is part of our human condition has become a problem in our lives. Um, it worry and anxiety when it starts to take hold of our minds, it strangles out and it chokes us so that we can't think of anything else. We can't think of um, God, we can't think of his promises, but instead we all we think about is that that we are worried about or that that we're anxious about, and it places a huge toll on us that worry and anxiety can go from worry and anxiety in our heads um, to exhausting us physically to, um, making us or, or, um, breaking down our immune system so that we get sick. And, and, and it steals the joy and the strength and the power that we have, um, in Christ and in our human life. So we, um, So uh, for us as women, we know that this is an issue, whether we're on the, "Mm, I just have a tendency to worry, or whether we've now come to the other side of it, that that worry is taking over our lives, or that it is so huge in our lives that it's time for us to reach out and get some help for that. Um, And and as we're talking today, I want to point out that there are, are quite a few things that steal our joy um, in our lives, and and it can be it can be a traumatic event, and that is real. That's that's not necessarily what we're talking about today. If something horrible happens in your life, you're in a car accident, you lose a loved one, whatever that is, that you should have sadness with that. You should there there is pain that comes with that, and so we're not talking about that in particular. But it is about worry. It's when that anxiety is about something that may or may not occur. What we're saying when we're worrying is we're saying that, God, I don't trust the plans that you have for me. I'm not sure that your plans are good. Um, When we look at stress, stress is that worry that is now becoming more acute. It's anxiety. It's we say that we're stressed out because we have so much to do. And that stress causes uneasiness and that feeling of, I need to get control of my life or my schedule. And it's out of control. And it is a huge issue. Um, Dr. Leahy, a prominent psychologist and specialist in anxiety, he says that the level of anxiety for a an average high school kid, in If you think of a high school kid, they don't have a lot of anxiety compared to what you all have or stress compared to what you all have. But the level of the average high school kid today is higher than the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. So as our life has become more complicated, as we are texting and we're able to get a hold of each other and we're multitasking and we're we're watching TV and we're going 100 miles an hour, what has happened is our stress level has gone up. So this is a real thing in our lives. Um, So whether we call it worry, whether we call it stress, whether we call it anxiety, that's what we're talking about, that that is becoming so big in our lives that it's taking charge of that. Um, Sometimes with anxiety and, and either before anxiety or after or during, you have fear. Fear is a good thing. In that, we're made to have a fear response. If there was a tiger that was coming through the door, I should be afraid. If I'm driving on a highway and a car is coming at me, I should be afraid. But it's, again, when that fear comes out of that situation and begins to take over my life that we need to look at, wait a minute, are we um, are we ignoring the fact that God tells us that he's our protector in our life? And then another, the fourth thing that that many times steals our joy is sin. I have a lot of young women, um, a lot is is probably too much, but I have quite a few women that will come to me, and they're in the midst of sin. They're um, choosing things that are not, um, they're not in God's will, they're not godly, they are sin. And the women know that they are being sinful. Um, they know that they're not making good choices for their lives, and yet they, they will come and they will say, well, but I don't feel God's peace. Well, okay, I get that, um, and you can pray, and you can pray, and you can pray, but when you are outwardly choosing to sin... Um, there's a good chance you're not going to feel that peace. There's a good chance that that sin is now manifesting itself as anxiety, as worry, as stress in your lives. So when you are outwardly saying, God, I don't like what you tell me I need to do or I don't like the plans that you have for me, but then you're saying, but I want your peace. Well, I I can't tell you that you're going to necessarily get that. You are you're going to feel anxiety, you're going to feel stress, you're going to be afraid. Um, Take an example of if a woman comes to me and says, I'm having an affair and um, and I, I just feel far away from God. Well, you should feel far away from God. So if you have sin going on in your lives and you're trying to find peace and comfort and get rid of the anxiety and the worry and the stress of your life, chances are you need to take care of that sin issue first. So I don't want to ignore that. Sometimes we bring about legitimate anxiety um, in our lives. Beth Moore says that all anxiety is rooted in our need to control. And I think as women, we can, if we look at our lives and and many times what we're anxious about or what we're worried about, um, what we will see is that it is that need for us to control I want to control the outcome. I'm I'm worried that um, financially we're not going to make it. Well, God tells us that He's faithful and He will He will take care of our needs. Um, but we want them taken care of so that we can have the second car, we can have the fourth bedroom in our house, we can have this. We want to control the outcome of that worry. So um, that in a nutshell, is is, um, some background of um, terms and kind of the direction that we're going today. Um, For right now, I'm going to have Corinne Shark come up and share her story. Corinne is a mom, a daughter, a a wife, a stand-up paddleboarder, an awesome, amazing lady. And um, so we're just really glad to hear her story, and her struggles, and um, hopefully uh, you can take heart in that. So welcome, Corinne.
1: Thanks, but you have to say Corinne.
0: Corrine, okay. If we're going to be friends,
1: you have to say my name All
0: right. (laughs) Okay, so tell us, tell us your, tell us about anxiety, depression, the struggle that you've had.
1: Well, first of all, there was a day when I didn't have a clue as to what any of that meant. I, uh, you know, I would talk with young women and they would, they would share with me issues about depression and anxiety, and I would really try to empathize and, and relate as much as I could, but I just hadn't gone through any, anything like that at that point. And uh, what I've realized is, if you haven't experienced something difficult in life, then you just have to live a little bit longer, because it'll come in one way, shape, or form. And we all, we all experience it differently, and we all have different stories. But I think, um, as Sandy was sharing earlier, saying that you know, she wants everyone to know that whatever your struggle is, it's real. I would not only echo that, but my heart is that everyone would uh, really understand that they're not alone, because I think that with anxiety, depression, fear, stress, it's so easy to feel like I'm the only one going through this, I'm the only one, no one understands, no one, um, you know, you can look around at people and everybody looks like everything's going great and, and uh, life is great for everybody else and whether they've got the house or they've got the husband or they've got the job or they've got the grades or whatever it is. Uh, we can fool ourselves and we can believe lies and and we can assume that we're the only ones. And so I think that when we share our stories with each other, not only do we debunk that myth, but we also give each other permission to share back. And I think that's what I find and that's why I like talking about um, some of the really hard stuff in my life is because of what Christ has done and the amazing freedom that he has brought, and so when I get to talk about that, then not only does it pass on a baton of hope, but it also gives other people a chance to then share their story back, and and say, you know what, life's kind of hard right now, and to admit uh, that that they're not okay, so when we can do that together, I think there's power in that, and there's freedom in that, so um, my my story I mean, my, you know, I can go way back, but to, to talk about really um, what anxiety and depression has looked like in my life, um, I would start with, I would start with about four years ago when I lost my younger brother to brain cancer. He was diagnosed with the most aggressive form of the most aggressive kind of brain cancer. And as a family, uh, we walked through that for almost three years together. And for something that was so incredibly difficult and so uh, tragic, and, you know, he was this, you know, vibrant, young um, man, and to have, you know, so many things stolen from him at such an early age, it could have been very easy to, frankly, to get really pissed about it. You know, stuff happens, and you, you, you can easily wonder, God, why are you allowing this? Why do you allow bad things to happen to good people? You know, we've all kind of... Um, had those song and dance thoughts, I think, at times, but what I saw happening in my family was an amazing um, building of something beautiful and a closeness and relationships that weren't uh, as amazing before that became amazing, and so we got to walk through that together, and God gave, man, he gave strength during the during those years that was unreal i mean the ability to sit in some of those really hard moments and go okay lord whatever you have and to really honestly accept that and then about 2 months after he passed away i was hit with just catastrophic anxiety and depression uh, not only did he, was he, you know, suffering from brain cancer and, um, ultimately, you know, lost his life to that, but at, in the end, what actually took his life was a very aggressive, flesh eating bacteria. So in our experience, the worst thing that you could think of brain cancer, the worst kind of brain cancer, worst case scenario was happening. It was real life. It was was right there every single day. But then in the end, it wasn't even the brain cancer that he died from. He actually died from flesh-eating bacteria. It was like, are you kidding me? I mean, as if that wasn't bad enough, it has to get even more crazy and even more scary and even more tragic. So there was this really dramatic... uh, Finish to his life, but yet that didn't take away any of the beauty or God's glory or the amazing um, coming together of people um, to celebrate his life. I mean, it was incredible. If death can be incredible, it was. So then, two months later, you know, I mean, our whole family—deep, deep deep grief—and fully aware that that was coming, we had we had started grieving, you know, long before he actually passed away. But two months later. I was hit with this totally consuming, oh my goodness, I can't get out from underneath this anxiety, and it was all about health problems, so it's not, you know, it's not hard to figure out where that came from, but what was hard to figure out is how I could feel so strong in the midst of something that was really hard and then be in such a tailspin about my own health, my husband's health, the health of my kids. Oh, my goodness. And I, I lost it. I went from never having experienced anxiety or depression and just kind of, you know, just being in a good mood, you know? I mean, that's ridiculous now, I think. <laughs> you know? I think of how many times I thought that, you know, when listening to someone else's story, and I'm like, oh, man, what a disservice. But um, I got to this point where I was a hypochondriac, um, I was agoraphobic. I didn't, I wouldn't be in crowds. I wouldn't go to the store. I wouldn't even go to the grocery store unless it was like right when they opened, so there was no crowds. Um, I wouldn't make plans with anyone that I knew, and if there was a plan, I, it would stress me out so bad because I just wasn't sure if I was gonna be able to make it. I mean, what if I got sick, or what if my husband got sick, or what if my kids got sick? Tailspin every single time, and it was constant, and I couldn't get myself out of it. So. Uh, I couldn't eat. Uh, I lost a ridiculous amount of weight, like not in a good way. You know, people would see me and they'd be like, oh, you lost weight. And they'd be like, oh, <laughs> don't tell me that like it's a compliment because it's not. When you can't eat anything all day long because you're so sick to your stomach. And, you know, you could spend all day in the bathroom. Or, um, you know, you have migraines because, uh, because you're so tense. And um, it, it was all I could do to get my kids fed three times that day and put them to bed. I mean, I was lucky that my little girl, who's a little bit older, she she was four at the time, I was lucky that she had a preschool program to go to because I wasn't the mommy sitting on the floor playing and having fun. No, I was the mommy sitting on the couch going, oh my gosh, when is it nap time? Because I can't handle you. And not I can't handle you because you're frustrating, but I can't even engage. I can't even engage in my own life. Um, I would drink way too much wine and watch way too many television shows late into the night until I was so sleepy that the second I hit the pillow, I would fall asleep because I couldn't bear to lay down with all of, you know, and try to fall asleep with all of the thoughts that would be in my head. So I was, I, I, I didn't even know who I was anymore. This was no version of me that I could recognize and I didn't know what to do and I totally felt alone. And I think, um, I realized that I really wasn't okay when I found myself um, surfing the internet to find... I was, I was literally Googling tragic stories. And I would sit there and I would read these articles or these blogs or these stories of things that had happened to other people that were so much worse than what I was going through so that I could go, okay, that was the only way I could put anything in perspective and go, this isn't rational. But it didn't matter if it was rational. And I think that's the thing about anxiety yeah. is that you can't just talk yourself out of it. You can't just decide to be in a good mood and then be in a good mood. You can't just go, oh, well, this is a relatively small problem that I shouldn't be that worried about. It, it doesn't matter. It's real. And in your mind, it's completely consumed you.
0: So let me, let me ask, what was your husband doing at this point
1: Yeah, so this was an interesting time in our lives and in our marriage, because at this time, my husband was working four jobs, and one of them was late at night, and uh, two of them were from home, so that was good, and, you know, two of them were out. One of them, he was working so that we had good insurance, and the other one, he was working so that we had, you know, extra grocery money, and it was, you know, partly ministry, and then the other two were his, you know, career-oriented jobs, and so he was gone a lot. And so there would be many late nights where it was just me, and you know he, there was definitely I mean he was always um, he was always very supportive and encouraging me to go to counseling and, and you know making sure that he could do whatever he could to hold down the fort because I sure wasn't holding anything down. Um, but yeah there was there was an element of that where i really felt like i was on my own which really contributed to the you're alone nobody gets this you got to figure it out by yourself kind of kind of uh, thoughts yeah. yeah
0: yeah so so what was the turning point and kind of how long were you in just this overwhelming sense of anxiety and depression yeah.
1: I would say start to finish. I feel like it's, it was about a two-year journey for me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think about a turning point, I think about a couple different places along the way because at first it was more like a turning curve. <laughs> you know, I wasn't—I yeah. I didn't have that moment where I was like, "Oh, you know, I'm all better now." You know, um, but it was more like a, a slow veering. I would say um, there was one night where I was in a puddle of my own tears. Uh, I remember on the floor by the side of my bed. The kids were asleep, and I, you know, it was when they finally, when I finally got them to bed, that I was able to kind of like face, you know, the the dark night of my soul. Um, but I remember I was reading a book by C.S. Lewis called A Grief Observed, and I figured I could, I should read it. You know, I had been experiencing grief, and, and A Grief Observed is a, about his journey and losing his wife to cancer. And I thought, well, maybe I can relate to some of this stuff, but really, the the piece in there that stuck out for me was was his questioning of God's goodness. And for me, I never had a crisis of disbelief or a crisis of belief. I I never thought, uh, I never doubted that God existed. He was he was so near um, during you know my brother's entire journey with brain cancer that I never doubted and and. You know, always in life. I never doubted that he existed. But in those dark days, I was definitely doubting his goodness. It was like, God, I know you're there, but I'm not sure you're good. And his response back to me, which is one, you know, one of kind of the few times in my life where I can really pinpoint God responding to me in all but an audible voice, his response was, I am good. But my definition of good is so different from yours. And we think about, I want the house, I want the job, I want the grades, I want the guy, I want the looks, I want whatever. And we think of those things and we attach our human desires to our God. And what he was teaching me is that not only did he have a different definition of the word good, but that he had a different definition of a lot of different words. But his goodness and what he started to really press into my life and my heart was that his goodness is that I would know him. And at first I was like, I want to feel good. I want to be happy. I want to be comfortable. I want over anything to be healthy, because that was my idol at that point. And that's what he was showing me, is that this idol that had come from a place of trauma and grief, uh, I I had formed this golden calf of health, and that was what I was worshiping 24 hours a day. I was keeping my kids healthy, keeping myself healthy, and keeping ourselves away from anybody who wasn't healthy. And um, so, I think that that was a really big part is starting to look at that concept of God's goodness differently. Um, yeah, yeah. So,
0: so it, during this time, as you're starting to um, kind of see God and His goodness and the good that He wanted for your life versus the good that you thought that you needed, um, was there was there a point where you just kind of surrendered? You just kind of gave it to him? Or, or what? How did that play out for you?
1: Well, I think um, it's funny because if, if I thought about the idea of surrendering back then, uh, you know, we've talked about this, where there's those things that people say to you. Just give it to God. Just, just surrender it. Just lay it at the cross. Oh, my gosh. Back then... If somebody said that to me one more time, I think I might have punched them. I was it, I was so uh, I was so tired of hearing those platitudes that we you know we we say those things we we mean well we do but but when we haven't experienced those really dark places. Um, we don't understand how that can feel, so I so I laugh at that because I think that there was a day when I would have been like, oh yeah, just surrender. It. Oh sure, yeah, that sounds great. And if it was that easy, I would have done it a long time ago. But um, really, the place that that I came to in, in understanding true surrender, um, and not just the hey God, I really want you to do something for me, so could you serve me so that I can be happy kind of surrender. That's you know that's not what I'm talking about. Um, so two years ago, so my brother passes away four years ago. Two years ago, I have this collection of symptoms, and I'm like, oh my gosh, am I just still a hypochondriac? Really, am I still doing this? I have this collection of symptoms, and I just decided, you know what? I got on WebMD, which is not a good idea if you've ever struggled with hypochondria or health issues, but I got on WebMD, and I was like, oh crap. And then I thought, no no, I'm not going to go down that road. I'm going to take this list of symptoms to my doctor and I'm going to let her be the doctor and I'm just going to do whatever she says. So I did that. And I went to my doctor and my doctor said, oh crap. And so um, I was sent for a brain MRI. So here's here's me, just, you know, recently, it was only two years prior to that, that I would lost my brother to brain cancer, and I'm having to undergo an MRI on my brain and my neck because the symptoms that I have um, were basically 75% of the symptoms for someone who has MS, multiple sclerosis, which um, is, it runs a wide gamut, but there's definitely some really scary possibilities within that. Um, so... I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, is this really happening? Here I am having to face my worst fear, my worst fear that something catastrophic is going to happen to me, and then my kids aren't going to have a mother, and then what's going to happen to them, and should I tell my husband to get remarried? I mean, I mean again, tailspin, right? Out of control. So, um, but I remember driving to that first MRI, mm-hmm. and I remember um, a song that I'd never heard before but is older now. Uh, it was a 10th Avenue North song, And um, I remember the phrase, uh, the, um, the one the wind and the waves obey. And I'm like Sandy, and I'm a water girl, and so I'm like resonating with that floating metaphor and all of that. And this song is talking about how God rescues us. And I just was realizing in that moment, he he already has rescued me. It's the, the removal of my circumstances, the removal of the difficult things in my life, that's not the rescue. The rescue is the removal of, of the grip that fear had upon me. And I remember Francis Chan, in the book Crazy Love, he talks about how fear is the fundamental disbelief in the sovereignty of God. And if you asked me if I didn't believe that God was sovereign, I'd be like, no, I mean, I could sit here and I could tell you about why God is sovereign and some verses and we could have this great discussion and some dialogue, but my life wasn't showing that. My life was showing that I did not believe that he was who he said he, he is. So, so I'm driving to this MRI and I'm like, I don't even know the song, but I'm listening to it and I'm just bawling my eyes out in joy because I feel like God was saying, "Look." I'm the one. I'm the one who is allowing this. And I'm thinking, why are you allowing this? And then it became so clear because his desire was for my freedom from the fear. Not that I would be perfectly healthy for the rest of my life. That's a hard realization. That that thing that I want, that health, that security, that's not his ultimate desire for me. His ultimate desire for me is true freedom and true healing. So I'm driving to this MRI. And I'm not even kidding you. I was like electric. I felt like I had never experienced the Holy Spirit in in this way uh Uh, up to that point, and even ever since, but I walked into this MRI, and I'm not kidding. I felt like I was just, like, busting the doors open, like, walking in like I was on some catwalk, you know? Like, bring it, you know? (laughs) This MRI's got nothing on me. And I'm, like, catching myself off guard because I'm usually the one in the corner in a puddle of my own tears sucking my thumb because I can't believe that something is, you know, could actually go wrong in my life. Mm -hmm. So I walk into this MRI... I'm smiling at people. I'm like making people's day as I'm signing in. And what it was though is that I'm giddy because I understood, not by anything I did, not because I prayed hard enough or because I read the right book or listened to the right sermon or anything, but because God met me. The living God was indwelling me. And I didn't just feel like I had this big bodyguard on my arm. I was walking in like, you know, I'm with him. You know, it's all good. I felt like he was the very lifeblood running through my veins that was pushing me through those doors. That was the only way that I could have done that. So as I smiled through this three-hour MRI, and I'm like laughing to myself in there going, oh, my gosh. Like, there is actual freedom from this bondage mm-hmm.
0: that 's awesome that was like that, is so that was cool. a huge moment yeah so um, as you as you look out and, and you see our women here today, um, are there ways that that as you were going through this, were there ways that women encouraged you, or how can we either get and accept encouragement from women or give encouragement if, if, if we 're the encourager so What would you say would be helpful for women to know and to not only deal with on their struggles on anxiety, but also to help other women?
1: Well, I think with everything, we have to to be honest. You know, it doesn't do any good if we're not going to be honest with each other. You know, we're all way too busy to just have more relationships where we talk about lame stuff, you know, like... The weather, although sometimes I'm guilty of talking about the weather too much, especially when it's hot outside. But uh, but when we are willing to not just say, hey, how's it going? Oh, okay, good, okay, I'll see you later. Um, when we're really willing to walk together through something with another person, um, that is no small thing. And I had someone in my life who I could call and I could say, oh my gosh, this is what's happening. I, this, is, I, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. And she would, using the word of God and using truth and reality, she would cut right through that and she would speak straight to me and she would say, that's not happening right now. Right now, this is what's true. She wasn't telling me that everything was going to be sunshine and rainbows for the rest of my life and that Jesus, you know, Jesus loves you and all that kind of stuff. I knew that. She was telling me truth. This is what's true. Right now, you have two healthy children. You are healthy. Your husband is healthy. This is what God says. This is what God has done for you. This is the victory that has already been won. And she would just speak truth, 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 truth. And I would sit there on the phone, okay, okay. And I felt stupid at first. I felt really silly that I need, I felt like a child, like I needed this pep talk, but I did. And I think that's the other part is acknowledging what you need. Sometimes we just need a truth teller in our life that can bring the truth of God to our ears, face to face, on the phone, whatever, but someone that we can go to. And whether, if you're struggling with depression or anxiety or fear or anything that we've talked about, Sometimes you have to seek someone out, and that's hard. And sometimes you have to say, I need someone to talk to, and you have to be honest about that. You have to be honest that you're not all put together. And if you're not struggling with it, to find those people who are and to be that person who is willing to not just See you once a week at church, or not just, you know, go out for coffee every once in a while, but to really walk through life with somebody. You know, we talk about community and we talk about doing life together, but sometimes that's hard and that requires a lot more than we originally want to give. But that's who we are for each other. That's the body of Christ. That's the church. And that was my lifeline. At at one point, and you know, since then, I now have a friend who's in the depths of it, and that's my job in her life. Mm -hmm. Gladly, gladly, because I know exactly what that feels like. Um, And you may or may not know exactly what that feels like, but you can still be that person to offer truth. And not truth as in, well, if you had enough faith, you wouldn't be dealing with this, or if you just prayed more, or if you just surrendered it, or if you just did anything, but somebody who can really extend grace and just sit in those hard places.
0: That's awesome. Very cool. Well, um, can we pray for you? would be awesome. God, I thank you so much for Kareen and um, for her vulnerability and for sharing her story with us. Uh, there are some of us that that we are in the grips of this, and to hear that that she's come through this, and even though it is a struggle sometimes every day, but God is faithful, and knowing that our identity is in him is, is just it's just amazing. So I thank you for her story, her willingness to share, willingness to encourage us, and at the same time to teach us, to teach us how to come alongside um, those that are struggling with anxiety, with depression, and, and speak the truth, the love, the grace that you have for us. So we thank you, and we ask that you watch over her and her family and just continue to um, help her see that her identity, her love, her all of that is just in you and that you are here as her protector and that your sovereignty is is absolutely real and in control and in charge of her life. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. All right, so as Corrine um, said that so much of what we um, need so much of that, that comfort, that hope, perhaps that freedom from the bonds of, uh, worry and anxiety. It's knowing God's truth. It's knowing, um, and, and I loved your phrase on just having it Flow through our veins. It's it's not just saying I know it intellectually, but it is part of me. It's in my heart. It's in my blood. Um, and and for us to know that, for us to take comfort in that, for us to really resonate with that, what we what we need to look at is is scripture. And where in scripture do we see this? What does God tell us um, when it comes to things like worry and anxiety in our lives? So if you have a Bible. Um, um, pull that out and turn to Matthew 625. If you don't, there are Bibles in the, at the center of your table. And we're gonna unpack Matthew 625 through 34. Um, it begins with: Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life more, is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Um, then in verse 26, look at the birds of the air, for they do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than them? What we see in verse 26 is God's care for the world. God loves the world that he created, and he cares about the birds, about the the everything in creation. And and he says, look at I'm taking care of the birds. And yet you, you as man and woman, you are the pinnacle of my creation. Wouldn't I take even more care of you? Um, As we go on uh, at the end of 26, are you not much more valuable for them? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. Do they, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. In fact, um, in that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow and is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith in 31. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear for the pagans run after all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Um, it, it goes on in verse thirty three to say, "For seek his kingdom, for seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well." Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In this passage, we see specifically about worry, that our tendency to say, I am going, I'm concerned about my clothes, my food, my whatever, um, that that today, what that does for us is it empties us of that joy, because we're focusing on that worry, or that anxiety, or that issue, or whatever it is, again, that we want to have control of. So by focusing on that, today we are not focusing on our joy on the love on the grace that god shows us and at the same time we're losing out on that today but we're doing nothing for tomorrow so it isn't affecting it isn't helping it isn't changing the troubles or the issues that we're so concerned about so it ends up being that hamster spinning on a wheel that is getting absolutely no place not only are we not enjoying the todays of our lives but we're, we're not affecting. We're not changing. We're not making better the tomorrows of our life, and and what in. In Matthew, in this section in Matthew, what we see is that God cares for the world. He cares for the little tiny birds. He probably even cares for the scorpions, which I don't think he should. But he does. He does. This is his creation. And if he cares for those things, he also cares for us. And oh, so much more. We are his children. He loves us and he cares for us greatly. So we don't have to Take that worry or that anxiety or that stress, and we don't have to make it this big, huge mountain that crowds out His love for us. We do have have trouble. We do have pain. We do have things in our life that are not the way that we want them to be. But even with that, as Karine shared, that it is important to know that even in the midst of all of those, that God is loving us and caring. And that's the important thing. So in a sense, it's shifting our focus from that uh, that's going on in our lives to the love and the care that God has for us. When we, when we worry, when we're anxious, what, We're really sinning against God in the sense of we're striking out at him. We're saying to God, God, I know you're there and I know that you're sovereign and I know that you created this and I know that you created me, but I don't think that I can trust you with my life. I don't think that I can trust you. Maybe it's with your marriage. Maybe it's with your finances. Maybe it's with your schooling or your career. We're striking out at God and saying I can't trust you. I don't think you're trustworthy. We're also not believing the things that we've read in Scripture. Um, In in, uh, Matthew 6, 30, O you of little faith, so do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. For those that are not saved, those that would not call themselves believers— They run after these things. It is that. It is clothing. It is material items. It's all of those things that give them their identity. Our identity is in Christ. We don't have to run after those things. Um, The pagans run after those. Those that are not saved. So if you call yourself a believer, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, you you shouldn't be running after those things. You, it's getting yourself and your perspective again back to God is, my identity is in him. God is in control of my life. He is the important thing. It's not the clothing, the house, the right person, husband. It's none of those. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Those are in a certain sense, important. We live in the United States, and those are big things in our lives. But when we make them the ultimate thing, we've displaced God in that. Um, We also, as we worry, as we are anxious, we also show that we're mastered by our earthly situation rather than being mastered by the fact that Jesus died for us and we have eternal life in him. We're saying that what is happening right now, right here, today, in this world is the important thing and what jesus tells us what god tells us what scripture tells us over and over again this is a tiny this is fleeting this is so not important compared to the riches the the love the being a co-heir with christ in our eternal life that's what our focus needs to be on Um, by worrying, we can't accomplish anything, nothing productive. Um, when we look at, if you go back into the old Testament, you see the Israelites wandering through the desert for 40 years in those 40 years. And, and you know, it's one of those things that, okay, you hear that and you're like, oh wow, I didn't really think about that. In those 40 years, their clothes didn't wear out. In those 40 years, they didn't have grocery stores that they went to get their food. In those 40 years, the shoes that they wore didn't wear out. Now, they did. again, they can't go to the store. They can't order it from a catalog. They can't go on the Internet to buy a new pair of shoes when their shoes wore out or when they outgrew them. Um, if you look in Deuteronomy um, 8.3, he, hum, what, what, um, again, the backdrop is here's the Israelites in the, in the desert wandering for 40 years. Deuteronomy 8, three, he humbled you and he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. God gave them food every day, not a ton of food, enough food for that day. F- we're talking 40 years in the desert here. Um, he uh, And then it goes on to say that he, um, in four, your clothing did not wear out on you and your feet did not swell in those 40 years. God loved them, even in their wandering, even in their disobedience, to make sure that they had food, to make sure that they had water, to make sure that they had clothes on. So when we think about, I don't have anything to wear, think of them in the desert can you imagine wearing the same clothes for 40 years the same shoes for 40 years I mean that's just crazy but God loved them enough that he did that for them and he loves us that much too he will take care of us and I I get it I get it when there's not enough money I get the worry I get the pain in that I get when, when you or your husband gets a pink slip and you don't know, you don't know what's going to happen. I know that that's painful. But at the same time, I know that you are a child of God and he will, he will take care of that. Um, God gives us today. He doesn't want us to be concerned with what might happen. Um, what worriers, what us, as we worry, what we do is we, we want what's been forbidden. He hasn't given us tomorrow yet. He will give us tomorrow most likely but he hasn't given that to us yet so accept what he gives us he gives us today he gives us this moment and find joy and find peace and find comfort in that when we're pushing forward and saying what happened six months down the line or a year down the line we're stealing today of that joy that we could have so it's easy enough to say don't worry um, as Corrine said, when people you would say that, the tendency is, well, you just don't get it. You don't get what's happening in my life. You don't get the pain that I'm having. So what can you do to shift that focus over? First and foremost, replace your worry with prayer. So every day, every minute, every hour, when those worry thoughts come up, to say, God, I know that you will take care of me. I know that you're in control of this situation. You can push that worry away and replace it with prayer. Um, you can seek his kingdom and his righteousness and know that he will make all things come. He, he will add all things for you that you need. That's Matthew 6 33. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. Colossians 3 2. Um, This is many people's favorite when we're talking specifically about anxiety. Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition. Again, replace that anxiety, that worry with prayer and petition. um, uh, With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. A lot of people will stop right there. If you go on to Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if any of these things are excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, put into practice, and the peace of God will be with you. We stop at that first section, the peace that surpasses all understanding. But in 4 8, we see replace your worry, replace your anxiety with what is true, what is noble, what is right. Replace it with thoughts of God, replace it with good thoughts, not the thoughts of what if, not the thoughts of the pain that we're going through or the pain that we're enduring. Although those might be true, don't get me wrong. Life is painful, but when you think of God and his goodness and his truth, that's where we can find hope in that. And many times we have to come to God with humility. We have to be able to say, God, I, I can't figure this out. I can't do this any longer. In my story, when I was saved, my, what, what I needed to say was, God, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I, uh, I'm clueless on how to even get out of bed tomorrow morning. I need you to take this over, this being my life. At that point of humility is when God, we open the door for God to come into that situation for us. If we're not asking him to come in, chances are, he isn't. We're not going to feel him in that. We're not going to see him able to work in that because we're holding on to it so tightly. We're controlling it that that he says, okay, if you still think you have control, then all right, I'll give you control of it. But wow, when you give it to me, I can really do something with it. Um, Psalm 55, 22, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fail. First Peter five seven. Cast all of your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Um, and and you know we uh, a lot of times we'll stay in our I'm going to pray and God I want you to come into my life and I'm surrendering this. But we we stay stuck in that. Um, I say sometimes it's the analysis paralysis. We've analyzed it. We're doing all of this and we're saying okay okay. So now take this over. What we need to do is give it to him, prayerfully give it to him, give it to him with thanksgiving, but at the same time, move forward boldly. Move forward saying, God, I know that you have control of this, so I am going to walk out of these doors today, and I am going to live life boldly. I am going to experience your joy, and I know that you are going to come with me on that journey. He's faithful. He will do that. Um, and and we, we have to know... Uh, that his, his He is going to come into that moment But it isn't just Okay I've prayed Now um, I'm just going to stay where I'm at We have to boldly say I'm going to go out there And live life and, and again know that you're in control of that You're in control of that That worry, that problem, that situation That trouble that I'm having in my life But I'm, I'm going to go on with life I'm going to live life um, in Second Corinthians four seven, but we have this treasure in uh, we have this treasure, the knowledge of Christ and, and His dying on the cross for us, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Corinthian Second Corinthians four eight. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. Not per, we're not crushed. We may be perplexed. We're not driven to despair. We may be persecuted. We're not. Forsaken, not struck down, but, but we're not destroyed. God is there. He may give us trials in our lives, He may give us pain in our lives, but He is there. We can have hope in that. We are not crushed, we are not driven to despair, we're not struck down, we're not destroyed. We have him. We have his hope in our lives. So um, as we kind of wrap up this part and, and we'll move into our questions and answers, just some, some quick takeaways for you. Believe God's promises. When, when you, again, if you're in the midst of anxiety or worry or depression, if you can sit back and just even just list out God's promises, and what has he told you? What do you know from scripture? When you go back, when you default to God's promises, you can, push, you can work to push that anxiety out of your life. Um, uh, there's the saying, what you know trumps what you feel. What you know is that God is true. He is faithful. What you're feeling is that anxiety, that worry, that, that emotion in your life. Push out that with what you know, and you know that God is true. Um, anxiety is thinking. T- it, it's a lot of times we'll say, I just think so much. I can't turn my mind off. It's, it is. You can't turn your mind off, but what you need to do is is not stop thinking, but start thinking about God, thinking about his promises, thinking about his faithfulness rather than not thinking at all. Go ahead, think, but think about him. Um, Secondly pursue God's priorities when you're pursuing his priorities his plan for your life whether it is going to work going to school taking care of your family loving your husband whatever that is when you're pursuing God's priorities you are on that path of feeling his love feeling his peace feeling his comfort in that and pray for his involvement um, again, as I said, a lot of times we'll pray, but but we don't have, we don't pray with that thanksgiving or that humility of, thank you so much, God, for what you've done in my life. And at the same time, I can't do this without you. A lot of times we pray, God, fix this situation. Um, but we don't give him control. We don't say, I can't do it. I can't do it on my own strength. Pray for his strength and give it to him. Be humble. Pray for his involvement in that. And and praise him. Praise him for his faithfulness. Um, a lot of us, and, and I'm, I'm one, I love Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes. Knowing that whatever I am going through today, because I am a believer, because I know because I call Christ my Lord and Savior, because I know that whatever I am going through today, God will use for good. Now, as as Karine said, that definition of good may not be my definition of good. It may be that God is disciplining me, that God is sharpening me, that God is softening my heart. It may be that God is making me stronger in the midst of the pain or the struggles that's going on in my life. But what I know for a fact From Romans 8.28 is he is using whatever is going on in my life for good. And it will be for good for me. Again, it's not necessarily my definition. My definition would be that I have no worries, that life is easy, that everything is great. But God is saying, Sandy, I know what's best for you. And my good may be different than yours. When we think of it that everything that happens in our life, God either, either, um, God allows that to happen, um, good and bad, he allows it to happen, then we know that it is for my good and for his glory. It will bring him glory, whatever it is that I'm going through, whether I can see it on that day or whether it takes 10 years for me to understand wow, why did I need to go through that? And maybe in this lifetime, I won't even know then. Maybe it's when I'm in heaven with him that I can say, oh, now I know why that happened in my life. Um, And and, uh, lastly, the fifth thing, experience God's peace. When you are able to believe his promises, pursue his priorities, pray for his involvement, praise his faithfulness, then we can experience his peace we can know that he is there for us and even when those awful things are happening in our lives we can say wow I don't really understand it but I have a sense of peace I have joy even in the midst of this um and and that's hard and the rest of the world looks at us and says I don't get that I don't understand but that's when we know that this is God's peace his peace that surpasses all understanding. Um, lastly, I don't I don't in any way, I, I, again, as I said earlier, I don't want to minimize that. Sometimes that anxiety has taken our lives over and controls us so much that we need to reach out for help. Um, it may be that we need the help of a, a counselor, or a therapist, it may be that we need medical help. And 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 so you know I don't want to again minimize that in any way. But I do know, and I can say from my experiences that that God used my brokenness, he used my anxiety, he used my depression to be exactly the thing that um, brought me to him, that saved me and so there's many times when um, when I think gosh if i had um, if I had looked for another way out, um, if i had um, not allowed him to take my hand that I would still be in that that state of anxiety and depression now Um, and and from that point it wasn't as if the light switch went on and life was better life was not better life was filled with joy and the knowledge that I knew that God was God was there and there was a God and and eventually that Christ died for my sins and and all of that but every day from that point forward it was God, I believe you to be true. Every day, it was just as as we read in Ephesians 6.13, every day I had to take up the full armor of God um, to be able to withstand the evil, the the, um, spiritual warfare that was going on in my head. And to this day forward now, almost 10 years later, Every day, I need to arm myself and equip myself with God's truth and his righteousness. So don't for in any way think that it's just a one-time, wow, the light's on and life is all better. It is an everyday, and the stronger you get in saying, I am not going to think those anxious thoughts are that worry. I'm going to think about God's goodness. I'm going to read scripture. I, I believe that as you strengthen yourself in that, that that anxiety, that depression, it has the opportunity to be this distant thing, further and further away in the past, because it's not a struggle that you go through anymore. So know that it isn't that light switch. It doesn't change overnight, but it is an everyday, and some days it's an every minute process. At every hour you have to cling to his goodness. Um, So, but in that we can, we can take comfort in the fact that, um, Philippians 1, 6, for I am confident for this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So with that, ladies, there are questions at your tables. Um, and, um, so and, and I kind of went overboard on the questions, so don't feel like you have to get through all of them. I don't want to give you anxiety just because you're here today. Um, but pick and choose on the questions, and, and really take some time to get to know the people at your table. As as Corrine said, sharing and saying, this is where I'm at today. Um, get encouragement from each other and, uh, you know, pick and choose on the questions or even ignore the questions altogether if if you want to do that, but they are there to help you and to maybe guide the conversation along. Also, as I said, at your tables are, there's a sign-in sheet just so that um, we know who's here and we can contact you if you want to be contacted. And there are a list of resources as well as connect cards. Um, There should be connect cards at your table. And if you're here and you're new and this is your first time and you're not connected at all and you'd like to learn more about us or be in a redemption community group, whatever it is, or you have some special need, prayer, whatever it is, um, fill out that connect card and let us come alongside you. So take some time and go through those, and I'll be back up in a bit.